This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be a question session reviewing several high-yield pathology topics, including giant cell tumor, soft tissue sarcoma, Ewing sarcoma, Paget's disease, synovial sarcoma, heterotopic ossification, and unicameral bone cyst. The questions that will be reviewed appeared on the pathology number no. 5 specialty exam on the OrthoBullets virtual curriculum. We will have a link in the show notes to take the exam if you have not done so already. The questions included in this episode will be reviewed by Dr. Ginger Holt, who is a professor of orthopedic surgery and director of musculoskeletal oncology at Vanderbilt University. Giant cell tumor. It's a beautiful tumor if you look at the histology, and it's, it uh, is on the boards every year. I always ask my, my residents when they come back what was on your exam, and the first thing they always say is giant cell tumor. It's very characteristic, so pay attention and no giant cell tumor. So which of the following statements regarding bone destruction caused by a giant cell tumor if bone is correct? Again, the guys who make out the test have, have figured out you're probably going to recognize giant cell tumor. They're going to ask you some questions uh, about it. And here is a, um, a very characteristic picture of a giant cell tumor which you should sear into your eyeballs and into your brain. Here's your characteristic giant cell tumor. The stromal cells have the exact same appearance as the cells that uh, make up the nucleus of the giant cell. That's characteristic. Giant cells that exist in a lesion don't always make a giant cell tumor. Aneurysmal bone cysts, chondroblastomas, other lesions can have giant cells in them. You need to have this appearance where you almost can't even tell where the giant cells are in the midst of all this other stroma. It's the preferred response here uh, we'll go through. So you should be able to recognize a giant cell tumor. They may show you a case and then ask you what cell is, is important for this. The, uh, a lot of people think that the giant cells, because they're giant cells like big uh, osteoclasts, uh, destroy the bone, but it's actually the uh, tumor cell activation of the osteoclast. And we think that it actually is the stromal cells that get the um, osteoclast activated. Osteoblasts we know make bone. Uh, the bone destruction is not caused by osteoprotegrin, which acts on the osteoclast. It's actually those uh, small stromal cells. These little guys actually activate the osteoclasts. As you can see there, that's your uh, preferred response. Threw in some extra giant cell tumor questions because it's uh, so commonly tested. 33-year-old female, lateral knee pain, slight fullness about her knee. She underwent a bone scan which showed increased activity, isolated the proximal fibula. Radiographs and histology are kindly shown for you below. And then uh, the question is, what's the most likely diagnosis? So this should be a chip shot for you guys. Um, we talked about the location of the tumor. This is epiphyseal. There is some metaphyseal component to it, and all you have to do is remember your epiphyseal tumors in a skeletally mature patient. Giant cell tumor, rarely clear cell chondrosarcoma. The histology gives it away for you. Giant cell, the cells in the stroma appear exactly the same as the cells in the nuclei. And when you look through for a parosteal osteosarcoma, should be stuck on bone. Eosinic fillet granuloma should have a plasma cells uh, on histology. Chondroblastoma should have those binucleate cells that we like to see on histology. Your eosinophilic granuloma and a myeloma can appear similar. Uh, a small round blue cell tumor, so you know this giant cell tumor is going to have big giant cells, metaphyseal, epiphyseal lesion characteristic. That's a beautiful example. Epiphyseal metaphyseal, it can extend in the metaphyseal portion of the bone to the epiphysis. Neocorticalization as the tumor extends to the edge of the bone. Bone scan is always going to be hot, and you can typically see a nice demarcation, uh, just like you can see on this MRI scan here. Preferred response for this as we went through is a giant cell tumor.
Uh, another thing to remember about giant cell tumors, where they occur, 29-year-old female, increasing back pain for the past four months, radiograph, CT scan, MRI scan, biopsy are shown. Here's the lesion, uh, the black arrows show you, it's very difficult on x-ray to see, but the sacrum is being destroyed. Lesion huge in the sacrum. Here you see an eccentric lesion in the sacrum. Remember, giant cell tumors occur in the posterior elements in the eccentric in the sacrum metastatic disease as well. And here is your uh, lovely pathology. Here are the giant cells. Outside here are very similar appearing stromal cells. And if we run through uh, osteosarcoma, this is not a bone forming lesion. It's in an odd location. We rarely see that in the sacrum. We should also see uh, malignant osteoid in those rimming osteoblasts. Ewing sarcoma should have uh, small round blue cells. Lymphoma will also look like small round blue cells and a chordoma, I showed you a picture of that earlier, you should see cords of cells, the, the cells sort of line up in cords uh, as they form and you see those soap bubble appearing cells called the physoliferous cells. And here is a really uh, a good example, here's your um, osteoid, malignant rimming osteoblasts, Ewing sarcoma, small round blue cell tumor, I showed this earlier here, those pseudo rosettes, lymphoma again appears to be a small round blue cell tumor, immunohistochemistry is going to differentiate that for you and here's your chordoma with these lovely physoliferous cells. So look at the difference between all four of these. The histology for you guys in recognizing that really helps make a difference. Here's uh, the extra question, and again, I took you through that for giant cell tumor. Soft tissue sarcoma, I told you synovial sarcoma is important to remember. What's the, the correct treatment for an incompletely excised high-grade sarcoma, the volar forearm? You guys did great on this. There are very few soft tissue sarcomas that exist per year. Unplanned excisions are a hot spot with the test makers. And remember, size, grade, and depth are the important factors. So location that's deep to the fascia, size greater than five centimeters, and uh, being high grade. Again, just like we talked about with bone sarcomas, soft tissue sarcoma is most commonly metastasized to the lung. You can remember there are five that metastasize to the lymph nodes, epithelioid sarcoma, synovial sarcoma, angiosarcoma, rhabdo, and clear cell sarcoma. But the most common site is to the lungs. The question here, what is the correct treatment? You guys did great on this. The preferred response is to re-excise and uh, flap. So this is an actual patient who had uh, this biopsy, incomplete excision of a mass. This is what had to be done. Uh, you can't just treat the patients with chemo, radiation, or otherwise. The most important predictor of recurrence in these patients is residual disease. So you have to re-excise and cover the tumor bed response for. Again, palliative care for, for this patient uh, would, would not be appropriate. 39-year-old male, myxoid liposarcoma of the thigh. Radiation is being considered. Which of the following is true regarding radiation therapy and soft tissue sarcoma? Uh, the treatment for soft tissue sarcoma, surgery and radiation. Remember, bone sarcomas, except for chondrosarcoma, is chemotherapy and surgery. So uh, radiation for soft tissue sarcoma in addition to surgery. And the difference in radiation when you give it doesn't change the outcome for the patient, whether it's pre-op or post-op. So the outcomes are the same. The difference is complications. And if you give it pre-op, you can imagine you damage, destroy the skin. They're going to have wound complications. If you give it post-op, you have to give a much bigger dose because of the uh, hypoxia, hypoxia in the uh, bed and uh, there's an increased risk of radiation-induced sarcoma. So the preferred response is two, the, which of the following is true. Radiation therapy reduces the risk of overall recurrence. It doesn't matter how you give it, if it's pre-op, post-op, the outcome is the same. And you guys sort of got confused on one and three. So answer three is radiation therapy improves overall survival. Doesn't change survival at all. It only changes the area that you radiate and changes local disease. 
compared to post-op radiation, pre-op is associated with a reduced rate of wound adhesions. It's actually the opposite. That skin has been radiated, treated, and burned, so it's more likely to break down when you operate on it. Radiation therapy doesn't change limb salvage surgery. Ewing sarcoma, another common one that will always be on your test. After tumor staging, what is the most appropriate treatment for a 17-year-old male, stage 2B Ewing sarcoma? So remember, that's a high-grade lesion that is, is spreading out of the bone, but the lungs are clear, got disease in his proximal tibia. So Ewing sarcoma, chemotherapy and surgery, just like osteosarcoma, chondrosarcoma, surgery only. And the treatment is uh, pre-op chemotherapy, surgery, chemotherapy. We typically try not to irradiate these young patients because of a risk of a post-radiation uh, sarcoma. Tumors that are non-resectable in the spine, the sacrum, um, or patients for, who need palliation instead of surgery, uh, we, we may consider radiation. But multimodal treatment, chemotherapy, and surgery, and it's usually chemo surgery. Preferred response for a patient, they're telling you he doesn't have distant disease, he's got local disease, it's aggressive. Uh, your preferred response is chemotherapy, surgery, chemotherapy. The difference here is that it's wide surgical resection. We discussed for cancer, we don't want marginal surgical resection for bone sarcomas. Wide excision and reconstruction alone is not enough. And uh, radiotherapy and chemotherapy without surgery in this patient who has a good prognosis uh, would not be acceptable. Question 45 for you guys. 15-year-old cross-country runner complains of vague shin pain, so they're giving you a very active young patient. Here's a radiograph and biopsy. Which of the following chromosomal translocation is most likely associated with this condition? So almost if you see a, a bone lesion and they ask a chromosomal translocation, you need to be thinking Ewing sarcoma, 1122. And here is a patient. They're, they're also trying to throw you off in this question. He's 15-year-old. He's a cross-country runner. They want to get you thinking about a stress fracture. For this lesion, we see a skeletally immature patient. It's a diaphyseal lesion. So what's the location? Diaphyseal. Tumor bone, bone tumor interaction. The bone almost looks here as if it's being uh, overwhelmed. It doesn't know what's going on. We have the onion skinning and we see this huge bone reaction occurring outside of the bone. The tumor is growing, expanding, and the bone has no idea what's going on uh, as the tumor grows and pushes out beyond it. And then as you look, here are your, your small round blue cells, very characteristic of a Ewing sarcoma. The uh, sheets of monotonous blue cells, potentially the pseudo-rosettes, you can see here, circled in yellow. Here's another one. Immunostaining is CD99 positive and Ewing sarcoma, 1122 translocation, characteristic. It will be on your board exam for sure. The associated fusion protein, the EWS Fly 1, first downstream from that and now is becoming a marker for you guys on your test. They will show you a Ewing sarcoma and they're going to ask you in some manner how the translocation uh, is associated with it because it's so common. And here is the preferred res response 1122. Synovial sarcoma is X18, which is next uh, uh, more common translocation, uh, uh, synovial sarcomas. For which of the following patients would a bone marrow biopsy be indicated during tumor staging? We talked about how bone uh, sarcomas can metastasize within the bone. They're more, most common, most likely to go to lung. And they kind of give you some options here. 15-year-old girl, bone-forming distal femoral lesions, so that would be an osteosarcoma. Aggressive soft tissue lesion in the proximal thigh. Soft tissue sarcoma. Renal mass would likely be a rhabdo or a Wilms tumor. Uh, here's a patient they're telling you she has a Ewing sarcoma. She's got an EWS Fly1 gene mutation. And a 12-year-old boy with a shepherd's crook deformity would be very consistent with fibrous dysplasia. So uh, for Ewing sarcoma, we know that the disease can occur uh, and metastasize to bone. Lung is most common. Bone is second. Ewing's is a destructive diaphyseal lesion we uh, discussed. We want to get a bone scan, MRI scan, CT scan, the chest 
to look for pulmonary disease, the MRI scan, you want the whole bone. And here's an example of why. Here's a patient with Ewing sarcoma who had multiple skip lesions in the femur. If you didn't recognize this and you tried to perform resection here, you're missing out on the, a lot of the disease. But a bone marrow biopsy will tell you if there is a disease elsewhere in the skeleton. And so it's Ewing sarcoma. Think of it as a, a small round blue cell tumor that's a bit easier to travel. Uh, we usually get a bone marrow biopsy to rule out distant disease. So in a, a patient with fibrous dysplasia, you're not going to check their bone marrow. We know it doesn't happen for osteosarcoma. And you guys did pretty good on this one. Answer three, a boy with a renal mass. Again, it probably is a Wilms tumor perform a bone marrow biopsy for. Paget's disease is, is pretty characteristic. What we usually worry about as orthopedic surgeons and oncologists is a malignant transformation. So this is a 65-year-old male, increasing shoulder pain over the past nine months. He's otherwise healthy, doesn't have any other complaints. X-rays are shown, whole body bone scan is shown, and histology is shown, what's the next uh, best treatment. So he's 65 and he's having increasing shoulder pain. So Paget's disease usually uh, plateaus as the pain stabilizes, so it's important to note that this guy has Paget's disease and increasing pain. Here is his femur on x-ray. You can see location. This disease process is occurring throughout the entire bone, which is important. This is a very wildly aggressive lytic lesion. It's destroying the head, the uh, bone. And when you look on the bone scan, this is telling you that he has multiple sites of disease, but because it extends along the entire area of the long bone, it's in the femur, tibia on both sides, is very characteristic for Paget's disease. And the difference in this histology here for regular pagets is it, this is wildly malignant, aggressive, terrible disease. Again, these malignant appearing cells here are mitotic figures. Here's a big, huge, horrible cell that has a lot of chromatin and activity. Here's a smaller cell throughout. Here's a ra random uh, giant cell. And we know that uh, Paget's disease, uh, again, is uh, an abnormal bone remodeling. So it, it's a, a very odd offtake of bone resorption and new bone formation. It's still uh, not clear exactly as to why it occurs. And it can be monostotic or polyostotic. The case I just showed you showed multiple bone lesions, polyostotic. The um, peak incidence is in the fifth decade, so that's a common uh, place to see it. And it's very difficult sometimes to diagnose between uh, Paget's and prostate cancer because there's a lytic phase, a mixed phase, and a sclerotic phase. And depending on when you uh, see patients, it can be difficult to distinguish between the two. The uh, question here was, what's the most next appropriate treatment for this patient? Well, this patient appears to have uh, Paget's disease because of the multiple areas of bone that uh, along a long axis of the bone are occurring. You'd expect metastatic to be, disease to be very spotty, and this occurs along uh, a bone, over two-thirds of the bone. And the histology here shows you a pagetoid sarcoma. So this is not regular Paget's disease with the nice cement lines that we uh, like to see. This is malignant. And so you don't want to refer them to endocrinology for their uh, Paget's. We don't want to treat them just with radi radiation and chemotherapy. You treat them like a bone sarcoma. So they're going to get chemotherapy, wide resection, and reconstruction if they can tolerate it at this age. So Paget's disease that has transformed to pagetoid sarcoma is treated like a bone sarcoma with uh, chemotherapy, wide resection, and whatever uh, reconstruction you need for the humerus. The answers here were all over the board, uh, endocrinology versus uh, radiation therapy and chemotherapy. But remember, pagetoid sarcoma is treated like a sarcoma of bone. Um, and here again, Paget's disease may predispose a patient to develop uh, of which of the following malignant neoplasms. Again, um, Paget's disease itself is asymptomatic when a patient begins to have pain, like we, they gave you in that last question, leading you to know that the patient has done pretty well and they begin to have pain. You want to worry about a pagetoid sarcoma, and this uh, uh, has a much worse prognosis. It is uh, essentially a pagetoid sarcoma or osteosarcoma 
secondarily fibrosarcoma, tertiary chondrosarcoma. Again, the prognosis is terrible. The patients are older, so they don't do as well with the disease and treat them like bone sarcomas, chemotherapy and surgery. So um, here I showed you a picture for the preferred response. And again, we said you, you can get uh, most commonly osteosarcoma, MFH of bone, fibrosarcoma, chondrosarcoma, any of these cancers. And here's a, a nice picture of Paget's disease itself and the difference in the malignant uh, transformation. So the nice cement lines, the nice architecture and structures very well organized and developed. The osteoclasts are sort of lining up like they should and when you look here is the Paget's disease in this bone and these malignant cells are uh, eating into the bone, chewing up the bone, malignant osteoblasts all along here. It's all of the above. A lot of people got confused between the three choices. Not just osteosarcoma, there are different types of uh, sarcoma. Uh, synovial sarcoma, again, this will be on your test, as I told you. Um, it's the most uh, commonly tested soft tissue sarcoma because it has a lot of interesting features to it. This was question nine on your test. 22-year-old female has a painful foot mass. Here's a clinical photo uh, of the lesion you can see here on the plantar aspect of the foot. It's pretty large, probably four or five centimeters. Here's your MRI scan with the lesion on the plantar aspect of the foot. And it's very hard to tell here if the lesion extends all along the entire plantar fascia. And then here's your histology. Lot, lot, lot of uh, uh, mitotic figures and cells in there. The small, dark, uh, blue cells. If you're, uh, for people who are colorblind, you have to look at all the uh, nuclear activity that's going on there. If you're not colorblind, you can see that there's a lot of purple on there, which is always bad. And here's the difference between a desmoid tumor. You can see that the fibroblasts and fibrous tissue are very, very spread out, almost like they're painted, painted onto the sheet. And when you look at a synovial sarcoma, you see that there are a lot of spindle cells. There can be epithelioid components to it. And look at the difference in the desmoid tumor that has almost an organization to it with the fibrous tissue, as opposed to the synovial sarcoma that is very haphazard with a lot of small round blue cells. And this is a biphasic synovial sarcoma. And uh, this one, only uh, about half people got this one right because they confused it with a desmoid tumor. So I wanted to show you the difference between a desmoid tumor, which is what can be confused, a plantar foot lesion that has a lot of fibrous tissue in it with a synovial sarcoma and hopefully that um, can, that side by side shows you the difference between the two. The, the difference on this question, the histology, this can look very similar to the histology that makes a difference. And this is a very aggressive malignant tumor and that histology should make the difference for you. Chromosomal translocation X18 is found in which of the following conditions? Gave you the uh, what the answers uh, go with. Uh, 1216 is a mixoid liposarcoma, X18 is synovial sarcoma. Uh, osteosarcoma does not have a, uh, a translocation. Ewing's 1122, I told you, will likely be on your test. Clear cell sarcoma, 1222. Of these, uh, Ewing's is the most common. Synovial sarcoma, uh, likely in some form or fashion, will be on your board exam because it's, it's very uh, specific and a nice way to test a soft tissue sarcoma. Synovial sarcomas are of unknown origin. The name came from the fact that the histology looks like uh, synovium, but it is not. Uh, arising from the synovium, they can occur in the thigh or anywhere else. Just because it's close to a joint doesn't make it a synovial sarcoma. It's the most common sarcoma in young adults and uh, the most common sarcoma in the foot. So that case that you saw was very uh, helpful in uh, bringing that to mind for you. Uh, the chromosomal translocation is observed in more than 90% of the cases. The other thing they can uh, ask you is the SYTSX1 or SSX2 uh, fusion protein that occurs with a TX18 translocation. Uh, heterotopic ossification, uh, not uh, a malignant tumor, but a tumor mimic, tumor-like condition. 
And this uh, is just kind of a rote memory question. Which of the two factors are associated with severe heterotopic ossification after a traumatic knee dislocation? We know that head trauma does, um, for not well-explained reasons, give people a propensity for heterotopic ossification. So uh, HO can occur spontaneously. We usually see it after trauma. It can be mild trauma. Risk factors include some sort of brain injury, uh, neurologic uh, compromise. So patients who are paraplegics uh, commonly have heterotopic ossification. Uh, and, and now we're seeing a lot of people who have uh, blast injuries uh, from Afghanistan or at war who then have an amputation through that zone. Um, body's already confused and instead of healing with regular fibroblasts and scar, they make bone. And again, this is a, a rote memory question that sort of came from the uh, OIDI uh, exam and the preferred response is one. It's the, this, there was a paper that showed this, uh, that the injury severity score and closed head injury were the two things that were statistically significant in a uh, study. You know, closed head injury and Glasgow coma scale almost give you the same thing. So um, all of the following have been shown in the literature to increase the risk of heterotopic ossification, except how do we prevent HO? Um, and this sometimes shows up on the test, whether it's uh, in association with uh, total joint replacement or otherwise, giving a single post-op dose or pre-op dose of radiation. So you can give this actually 24 hours prior to surgery or 72 hours after surgery, it's 700 uh, RADs. And um, when do you treat them? When you take them to surgery, we usually wait three to six months. A lot of people will say that uh, you want to see your bone scan activity decline to close to zero. We usually treat them with endomethacin, that's the uh, medical treatments uh, to prevent it from coming back. The patient gets this after joint replacement, the surgical resection, again, you want to wait at least six months uh, prior to resecting. Um, all the following uh, have been shown in multiple traumatized patients, so that goes through injury severity score, spinal cord injury, we talked about neurologic issues, blast patients, severe burns. You know, we, we would pray that open fractures would form heterotopic bones so they would heal. So you could almost remember that's the exact opposite uh, as to what would occur. And the answers for this were sort of across the board. And again, this is almost a, a rote memory thing that you, you have to recall. Unicameral bone cyst, very common uh, benign lesion that we see that shows up on the test. Here's a nine-year-old patient, painful snap in his arm throwing a baseball. He's otherwise in good health. And here's a picture uh, showing the lesion, fracture, fallen leaf sign in the middle of that. You guys did a great job on this one. The uh, standard treatment is uh, immobilization. We usually let the cyst heal, and then you can treat it however you want to treat it. This is controversial, injecting it with steroids, bone graft, bone marrow, curatage, and bone grafting. So I wouldn't get caught up on how you necessarily treat it, but knowing that initially you want to immobilize them, let the lesion heal before you go back in and treat it. That's kind of the key concept. So for this patient, he's nine. He has a single uh, lesion. The question here comes down to um, do you do some sort of tumor staging or biopsy? Do you think it's malignant? And you guys, again, did a great job to treat him with a sling, observe him, and then um, later you can treat him with aspiration, injection, curatage, and sort of your, your choice. In a seven-year-old patient, right hip pain is another great example of uh, unicameral bone cyst. It's the same width as the uh, bone. It hasn't expanded the bone. The confuser can be an aneurysmal bone cyst. He had no hip pain, otherwise healthy, pathologic lesion. What's the recommended treatment? This uh, history, characteristic, radiographs characteristic for a unicameral bone cyst. X-rays show that lytic expansile lesion, the same width as the physis above it. This is a, a patient of mine who we treated with internal fixation. 
So uh, the majority of people, again, got this correct. Uh, um, open reduction internal fixation with bone grafting. And again, the bone grafting part isn't as uh, important as knowing that you want to fix this. These have a bad propensity to um, displace in a cast. So when they're around the femur, we typically treat with fixation so that he doesn't uh, fracture later. That's all for this pathology question review session. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.